before the night before Christmas, and uh, we're going to we're calling today our Christmas first look, and it's an opportunity for all of us this morning to really look uh, behind the curtain. What is what is the real reason that we and hundreds of millions of people around the world celebrate this one day each year? And uh, we're going to have another opportunity to do that Tuesday evening, 6 p.m. And we're saying to our regulars, it's two opportunities to bring people along and. Uh, then if you're here for, for the first time, Louis already welcomed you, so great to have you here this morning. Um, when I was in my early 20s, I worked in the corporate health industry. I ran some corporate gyms in and around the city, and a lot of my buddies at the time, they were still at university, and they would come and meet me uh, and uh, kind of bludge off uh, the corporate uh, people who paid for the gym and use the gym for free during their um, downtime from university. And then occasionally I would go and, and hang out with them, just as something to do and train at their gyms at, at their university. And I remember this one time I, I, I went and met one of my buddies. He was uh, studying at Murdoch University. And I went down to, to hang out with him one afternoon to do a workout at the gym there. They got a, a pretty good setup. And uh, we did this sort of, you know, just a strength training routine. And it was a pretty, pretty kind of standard deal where one person would, would do a set of you know, bench press, and then the next, the other person, they would do their set of bench press, and, and you just kept on swapping in, swapping out throughout the workout, about an hour's workout. Well, on this particular day, I, I, I cannot recall why, but for some reason, uh, my buddy Tim and I, we decided on this particular day, the way we were going to mix up this workout, we we're going to kind of add a little bit of uh, color to the, to the workout, was that before you did your set whoever's turn it was, you had to quote a line that Arnold Schwarzenegger had used in one of his silly movies, right? So, you know, uh, we, you know, get on and, and of course the easy one is I'll be back, you know, and then you do your bench press and we've got a, you know, a little bit of skewer. I can't remember, if, you know, some of you know the one where Arnie gets a pipe and, uh, and he's got a guy, his enemy, coming towards him, and he throws the pipe, and it sticks the guy in the chest, carries him through, and hits him in, and pins him against this uh, steam vault, and he says, let off some steam, Bennett. Uh, just, you know, and th- look, I could go on, I mean, we, were, we, we, we literally got through a one-hour workout, and we didn't run out of stupid lines. One of the most memorable Arnie lines uh, is from the movie Kindergarten Cop. And uh, Arnie, you, some of you will know this, some of you maybe it's a bit before your time, but some of you will know this, the classic line from Kindergarten Cop where Arnie sits in front of these preschool kids and he asks them, who's your daddy and what does he do? Remember that? So we're going to do a little bit of a kind of spin on Arnie's Kindergarten Cop question this morning. And we're going to ask the question, who is Jesus and what does he do? Because at the end of the day, If we can't answer that question, then the whole idea of celebrating Christmas doesn't have an answer either. So we're going to just drill into this, going to drop anchor, drill into this question. Who is Jesus and what does he do? Now, here's a rhetorical question. Just think about it for yourself. How many of you enjoy walking around in the dark? Okay. Yeah. Now, I remember when I was about six, middle of the night... Had to pee, as you, as you sometimes do when you're six or 96. And uh, I was six, and uh, and I remember I walked, you know, half asleep in the dark through my house, my parents' house. And uh, we had the, the toilet that was adjacent to the laundry. And I, you know, as you do, just 
flipped up the lid of the laundry basket and uh, I, I, I couldn't see the difference at the time. My mother pointed out to me in the morning that I missed by about seven paces. What about when you stay somewhere less familiar than your own home? Maybe you booked a holiday uh, house, you stay there, or you spend a night with a friend's house, or, or uh, maybe in a hotel room. Then, walking around in the dark takes on a whole another level of danger. I mean, you know, I, I'm sure globally there is countless number of F-bombs being dropped by people who have hit knees and kicked toes against uh, objects that they didn't know were there because they were in an unfamiliar setting in the dark. What about life circumstances? I'm sure all of us can identify personally and know other people that have actually found ourselves in life circumstances that feel like we're walking around in the dark. Maybe you, if you've ever moved into a new city or a new state or a new country, in that initial on-ramp season, it can just so very much feel like we're walking around in the dark. Everything is unfamiliar to us. Maybe it's starting a new job where you have to learn new ways of doing things and, and meet new people and, and get a whole level of uncertainty that you have to kind of wade through. It feels like walking through the dark sometimes. Maybe you've lost your job and, you, and, and, and you've been in a situation where you didn't know where, where the next, you know, how you're going to pay your bills and, and how you're going to find the, the next job. And that season there can feel like walking around in the dark. Maybe remember back, for, for those of you who are parents, when you had your first child. And, uh, and, and the doctor forgot to give the instruction manual when he let you take the baby home. And you had to kind of figure it all out. And, and, and some of that season can feel like walking around in the dark. Maybe some of you have had some uh, substance abuse issues over your, over your years. And, and, and while you were in that, while you were stuck in that, in that time and, 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 and uh, dependent on this, on this addictive patterns, you, 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 you maybe even wanted to get out but felt like, you were walking around in the dark. You know, I've never really met anybody, apart from a couple of uh, smart Alex just now who said they like walking around their house in the dark, but I've never really met anybody who's enjoyed walking around long seasons of life in darkness. It's not a pleasant way to live. Now, cliche givers will throw out the, the simple solution to you. Well, just turn the light on. Darkness and light can't coexist. Great. Yeah, I went to school too, buddy. Sometimes that's not helpful. Sometimes, yeah, we, we know that we want the light to be switched on and we can't find the switch. And so we're stuck so often in the darkness, seasons of darkness, circumstances of darkness. Some of these circumstances, some of these seasons could be our own doing. Some of them could be circumstances and situations that were thrust upon us. In, in, in any case, if you've ever found yourself stuck in a, in a situation or a season of darkness, you can identify with the, this whole idea. It's not a great place to be. It's not God's best. But sometimes... Even though we want to flick the switch on, or we want someone else to flick the switch on, it's not that easy. And that's where Jesus comes in. I want to take you back 2,000 years. Jesus, by this stage, was in his early 30s. 
And uh, he was in front of a group of people and he'd been teaching them. He was spent a lot of time teaching people, teaching them about his father, t- teaching about the kingdom of God, teaching about his purpose. And one day he was teaching, teaching in a sort of public forum like this, but would have even been even more public, open air kind of deal. And um, some of the, the, the religious leaders, the rulers of the day, brought before Jesus, brought up to Jesus this, this woman who'd been caught having sex with a man that wasn't her husband, okay? Now, in those days, the law for anybody caught in that situation, having sex with someone that's not your husband or wife, the law required that you be put to death. Now, now by the way, there are still countries on our planet today that operate with that same law. But 2,000 years ago, that was the law of the day where Jesus had chosen to be born and to, and to spend his time. And so the leaders had found this woman and they brought her before Jesus and they threw her down in front of him, completely naked, and said to him, Jesus, we just caught this woman having sex with someone that's not her husband. And you know, Jesus, that the law says that we're meant to kill her. She's meant to be put to death, death by capital punishment. In fact, the way they were going to do it is they all had rocks in their hand and they were going to actually stone her to death with these rocks. An incredibly, incredibly brutal way. I mean, she was ashamed already, publicly exposed, caught you know, in the act, but now just thrown down naked in front of a group of, of people in the village and the area that she would have been from. And she stand, she's, she's, she's on the ground surrounded by these angry religious leaders with this kind of mob mentality that, that are going to impose the law. They're going to enforce the law. It's our job. This is what we're meant to do. She did the wrong thing. We're going to do the right thing by God. and We're going to kill her. And they said to Jesus, because they were trying to trick him, and, 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 tri- and trip him up and actually expose him and bring some shame on him as well. They said to him, what do you think we should do? Now put yourself in that woman's circumstances just for a second. Think about if that was you. You are, you, you, are, you are now, you know, you are now taking your final breath, breaths. You know what you've done was wrong. You knew what the law required if you were caught in that act, and you were. You were now thrown down in front of a group, a group of people who actually had the weapons of your destruction in their hands at that very moment. This is a darkness. And no amount of telling that lady, I'll just turn the light on, was actually going to reverse her situation. She was completely helpless at the mercy of this mob and could do nothing about it. But Jesus, he didn't just throw a cliched response to these religious leaders. In fact, he initially didn't respond at all. He just silently paused. He wrote some things in the sand on the ground. We don't know what those things were. 
All the while, this woman's still there and these religious leaders are still there with their rocks in their hands. Ready for Jesus to say the wrong thing and the second that he says the wrong thing, boom, it's on. The execution will be on. And Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, said to these religious leaders, Okay, fellas, I'll tell you what. Any of you that have never done anything wrong, yeah, you go ahead. You throw the first stone. That's all he said. And he waited. Jesus understood that time and truth ultimately walk hand in hand. And he called out truth to these religious leaders. Any one of you that's never done anything wrong, sure, great. You, you can throw the first stone. But the rest of you, maybe you should think about putting the stone down. Because you're guilty of your own sins. You're guilty of your own crimes against God. That was a pretty ballsy thing for Jesus to say, right? Jesus didn't pick a stone up. Jesus didn't stand in front of her and try to say, oh, I'm going to block the stones. He just said, you know what? Yeah, any of you that have never done anything wrong, you go first. And one by one, those religious leaders dropped their stones and walked away. This woman... Because of her own actions, by the way, it's not like, you know, she was being raped. She was actually voluntarily, willingly participating in this act that she was caught in. Okay, so she was guilty of the crime that she was being thrown before Jesus, having sex with someone that wasn't her husband. And Jesus knew this, and she knew this. And she, at that moment, up to that moment, had come literally within a millimeter of facing her death. Until Jesus came and Jesus turned the light on. Jesus turned the light on. Jesus actually turned the light on simultaneously onto two groups at that very point in time. Firstly, he turned the light on to those religious leaders who thought that they were too holy, too good, too right. That they were the ones that, that despite the fact that they had actually not lived perfect lives, that they could go around pointing the finger at judging other people. Jesus actually shone the light on that because he doesn't accept hypocrisy, claiming to be perfect when you know you're not. And we know we're not, and that's why, thankfully, we don't claim to be perfect. And at that very moment that he shone the light on their hypocrisy, he also shone the light on this woman But the religious leaders had already done that. They'd already shone the light on her. They'd already caught her and shone the light on her and exposed her in all of her shame, in all of her literal nakedness in front of her village. They'd shone the light on her. And now we have Jesus shining the light on her. And yet, the light that Jesus shone was a very different light. The light that Jesus shone had a very different purpose, a very different motivation. He was looking to expose her, just like the religious leaders were. 
but not for the same motive. They were looking to expose her so that they could then kill her. He was looking to expose her that he could call her out of darkness into the light. And he said to her, Sweetheart, lift, lift your head up. Have a look around. See those guys that had the rocks in their hands that were going to kill you a moment ago? Have a look. They're not even here anymore. They've gone. You're not about to die. Your, your, your execution has been stayed. In fact, not only has your execution been stayed, it's not even going to happen. No one's condemning you. And he said, and you know what? Nor do I even condemn you. Now, I have to qualify. Jesus isn't thrilled when we do the wrong thing by God. Because he did then say to that woman, honey, now go and sin no more. He, he, he does bring truth into the mix. But in this act of mercy, he shone the light on her. There was still a crowd gathered around, not the religious leaders. They'd left. They'd hung their heads in shame. They'd had the light shone on them. They'd been exposed for their hypocrisy. But Jesus now turned to the crowd that was still gathered. Imagine being one of the crowd. You witnessed that whole thing. You were actually first up sitting, listening to Jesus teach. Then out of nowhere, this commotion comes down the alleyway. These religious leaders who you would have known come with this naked woman. That's an attention grabber. They throw her down in front of Jesus. You're still there watching all of this. They accuse her. They pick the stone, the, the rocks up in their hands. They say this to Jesus. Jesus says to, to them, if you've done nothing wrong in front of God, you can throw the first stone. They felt the shame. They felt the conviction. They dropped the rocks. They left. He says to the woman, honey, look up. No one's condemning you. I don't condemn you anymore, but go and don't sin anymore. Stand up and leave. She leaves. Now Jesus is still there and you've watched that entire seen unfold talk about a memorable day but in that moment the greatest thing that you've witnessed is you've witnessed something of the essence of who is jesus and what does he do and he said to you he said to the crowd i'm the light of the world He was telling them. He was putting kind of words to actually something that they had just witnessed firsthand anyway. He said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus wants to shine his light into your darkness. He wants to expose it, but not for the same motive as the religious leaders. Jesus' motive isn't to expose your sin and throw you under the bus. His motive is to expose your sin so you can be set free from that sin. Because darkness traps us. Darkness closes us in. Darkness limits us. We become slaves to the limitations of 
of darkness. And Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I've been thinking about that a lot this week. I think some churches, and I'm not pointing the finger at churches, I just think in general too often I've seen churches kind of preach about Jesus like he's around Christmas time, more like he's Santa Claus than Jesus. That like Louis said, that Jesus walks around trying to figure out who's been naughty and who's been nice. And the inference being that if you've been naughty, you've disqualified yourself from coming to Jesus. No, Jesus doesn't, doesn't like naughty people. But if you've been nice, ah, come to Jesus. Jesus likes the nice people. And... and <laughs> The religious leaders thought they were the nice people. The woman caught in adultery, she knew she was the naughty one. We need to always remember that we, <laughs> we are also the naughty ones. We're also the naughty ones. And, and we don't have to remind ourselves of that to beat ourselves up. We don't have to remind ourselves of that to somehow, you know, uh, throw, throw rocks at ourselves and, 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 and limit our own potential in God. But we need to remember that, you know what? Without Jesus' forgiveness, without Jesus looking at us like he looked at the woman in adultery and, say, and says to us, no one condemns you, I don't condemn you, you're forgiven, you're set free, and... Keep my light shining on you. Walk, follow me. See, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Jesus forgives us. And then he says, go and sin no more. But the key, the secret source, the power resides in whether or not we will follow him. And if we follow him, we won't walk in darkness. So the question I want to ask today, this Christmas season, is not just whether or not you kind of believe that Jesus is the light of the world, but whether you've actually made a decision to make him the light of your world. Whether you've actually personalized this, this gift that we showed in, 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 in a couple of videos. Whether you've actually personalized this, this gift of a baby who went on to claim to be the son of God, and I believe he was. And that same baby grew up to be a man that says to us, says to you, I'm the light of the world, and asks the question every day, especially this time of year, will you make me the light of your world and if you do, and when you do, will you follow me? And if you do, you're going to be empowered to not have to walk around in the darkness. You will have access to the light of the world every day. Some of you have never made that decision. You've never actually said, Jesus, I want to make you the light of my world. You know what? One of the videos we showed earlier talked about the fact that the gift has already been given to you. And the question gets asked whether you want to actually accept that gift this Christmas. Receive that gift, the gift of God's Son, Jesus. Well, if you've never made that decision to accept that gift personally, we're going to give you that opportunity right now to make that decision, to accept that gift.
In a moment, for those of you that have never made that decision to accept that gift of Jesus, I want you just to put your hand up. And when I see your hand, you can put it down. We're going to take just a few moments to give you that opportunity. If you've never made that decision before, give you that opportunity. And then we're going to pray. So right now, while I'm looking, you just want to signal to God, you know what, that's me. I'm going to accept that gift this Christmas, the gift of your son, Jesus. I I want to follow him from this day forward. Just put your hand up. When I see your hand, you can put it down. And then we're going to pray. Okay, guys, let's pray. Let's pray for Tuesday night. Tuesday night is Christmas Eve and... uh, Our team has been working hard and praying that we will see a lot of first-time guests, a lot of de-churched people and unchurched people, people that have never made this decision to make Jesus the light of their world and to be able to come here, part of our live experience, Christmas Eve, hear this message, the whole message, and respond to that. So let's pray right now. This window between now and then, God will continue to stir the hearts of the people that we've been inviting. Lord, we place ourselves right behind you. Wherever you're leading, God, we want to follow. Be a church, be a people that are, are walking in your footsteps, the light of our world, Lord. And God, we pray that you would use us incredibly, use us powerfully as we run up to Christmas Eve to proclaim your truth, declare your message that you are the light of the world and that we would see a lot of first-time guests here, ready to listen to that truth, ready to expose themselves to the real message, the real truth of why it is we pause every year to celebrate Christmas. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Now, I'm pretty future-focused. Some of you are too. I want you to go with me to the first Sunday in January. I know we actually haven't officially celebrated Christmas yet and put that behind us. But, 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 let me, let me assure you, I'm already reading magazine articles about New Year's resolutions and making goals and all that stuff for next year. So uh, we're not the first people in the line to be thinking about 2014. One of the things I am super excited about in 2014, for the month of January, we're launching a conversation called the New Rules of Resolution. We're going to help you change the way you change. And I just want to show you a little bit of what you can expect and look forward to in January. Okay, time to make another New Year's resolution. Resolution. Res-o-lose. Yeah, lose is right. Why even bother this year? Every year, I tell myself I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to make some changes in my life. This year is going to be different. And every year, I feel like I'm in the exact same place I started last year. Change seems hopeless. Sound familiar? Unfortunately, we often face the beginning of a new year setting ourselves up for failure. We make a list of all the projects we're going to tackle, all the goals we want to achieve. We tell ourselves we're going to try harder this year. We start looking at what the world calls successful and talking about all the things that we would do. This is the way to approach it, right? Wrong. We need to reframe the way we approach change. This year, we're going to play by a new set of rules. Five facts that change the way we change. Welcome to the new rules of resolution.